0: I have the right to do anything, but I will not be mastered by anything. You say food for the stomach and the stomach for food and God will destroy them both. The body, however, is not meant for sexual immorality, but for the Lord and the Lord for the body. By his power, God raised the Lord from the dead and he will raise us also. Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ himself? Shall I then take the members of Christ and unite them with a prostitute? Never. Do you not know that he who unites himself with a prostitute is one with her in body? For it is said, the two will become one flesh, but whoever is united with the Lord is one with him in spirit. Flee from sexual immorality. All other sins a person commits are outside the body, but whoever sins sexually sins against their own body. Do you not know that your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have received from God? You are not your own. You were bought at a price. Therefore, honor God with your bodies. This is the word of the Lord.
1: For your word, we thank you. um, We thank you that you speak truth to us. And we pray, Lord, that our hearts would be would have good ground this morning to receive it. Um, make us help us to be teachable, Lord. We pray, Lord, would we be satisfied as we've worshipped? Would we be satisfied by Your love? Uh, help us, Lord. We pray. Would You incline our hearts now to Your testimony? We ask, Lord, for You to do this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Um, it is as you may pick up or um, may know, we're in a series on faith and sexuality, um, and. I'm conscious. Just want to say first, um, parents, uh, as you hear the passage, um, I'm conscious that we have our third and through fifth graders in the room, um, so uh, I'm going to make every effort to um, to deal accordingly. And so, also as you hear it, and you're you're feeling like, why is he being so sort of vague or using words here um, and implying here? Um, that's why. Uh, there's there's certain conversations that, as parents, you can initiate with your children, um, and certainly things in this this passage that that we're conscious of that. So um, we'll deal faithfully with the word of the Lord, but also uh, aware of, of, of our third and fifth graders in, in the room as well. Um, so just wanted to mention that off the top. Um, well, as I say, we're in a series on faith and sexuality. This is the third of four uh, sermons. The first two, the last two, um, we, what we've tried to do is, is look at scripture to paint a larger story of God's love for us. Uh, that, was, that was week one. Uh, what does the, the whole story of Scripture tell us about God's love, and then where does our sexuality sort of find a place within that? Uh, and then last week, um, Angelo sort of cha- made that, brought a little more specificity, specificity to that in looking at, at marriage and singleness and, and where does God have a place for our sexuality? Where does God um, uh, draw us in his story uh, to honor him with our sexuality in, in both marriage and in singleness? Uh, and then th- this week, the-, the question really then is a little bit more of the, the day-to-day question. So I've heard all that. So how about um, Tuesday at three o'clock? Uh, well, how do I live in wholeness then? How do I live faithfully um, in my sexuality then? How do I live faithfully and honor God with my body when I'm in a difficult marriage? How do I live faithfully and honor God um, if I've suffered from abuse? How do I live faithfully and honor God um, when, I'm- when I'm tempted day by day. And I, and I feel like this assault from the world in my mind. Uh, how do we do that day by day? That's our question before us um, in this passage. And, and so there you have three headings in your outline. We're going to look at it under the heading of to whom do you belong? Uh, the only one that makes us whole. And then circle back again to the question I just asked, how do we live in wholeness day by day? Uh, you'll notice in the passage uh, that Paul is kind of beginning with by quoting things that are often said in uh, the ancient uh, Roman culture, the ancient Roman and Greek culture. He, he's, he's sort of riffing off of, hey, here's something you may hear, here's something I hear you guys are saying or you may be impacted by or uh, a message you may be, be hearing. Verse 13, he says, you, you say food for the stomach and stomach for the food. Uh, and, and so that, what, what is he pointing at? He's pointing at, uh, in the ancient world, there's the view of, of the body, the view of sexuality, uh, is that it's, it's, a, it's an appetite for the body. So, um, in the same way that you think about, you get hungry, you eat some food. Uh, you get tired, you go to sleep. Uh, if you have uh, sexual longings, you, you satisfy them. Uh, it's, it's a bodily appetite, and, and you put constraints on it only to the, in the, to the degree that you put constraints on any appetite. Um, I don't want to eat too much food or I'll feel sick. Um, If I oversleep, if I sleep too much, I'll I'll probably be missing out on some other responsibility in life. And so that was the constraint um, around around sexuality in in the the view in the ancient world. Um, And so what what that meant then though, of course, is we can sort of look at that and say um, sort of how primitive in a sense. Um, But 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 one of the implications of that, of course, is that then the freedom you had to express and satisfy yourself depended largely on, not on laws or on social norms, but on how much social power you had. So if my body is an appetite to be satisfied, then um, society is at my disposal as far as I can exercise power over it. So the rich and the powerful would prey on the poor and the weak. Uh, And that, that was the dynamic uh, that, that was prevalent in the ancient world. All of that is tied up with Paul saying, quoting this back to them in verse 13, food, you say food for the stomach and stomach for the food." Uh, and of course, the, the teachings of the scriptures are, are radically different, are revolutionary uh, in, against that backdrop. Uh, Paul says in verse eighteen you 'll notice he says, Flee from sexual morality." And, and the word, just, just to be clear, the word specifically that he's used to, that translation, sexual morality, he's specifically talking about um, anything outside of marriage, whether before or um, or whether um, premarital or extramarital, any sort of intimacy. Uh, that's, that's what he's saying, flee from, flee from that. And as I say, this is revolutionary. Uh, it, it comes against everything that, that much of the ancient world would have would have seen uh, on this topic. Um, it caught, what Paul does, and, and the, in the in the next chapter as well, he continues this. The the scriptures teach a, a sexuality that calls for a mutuality and consent. Uh, the The idea of consent that that we we uphold um, in our current culture is a biblical idea. It's rooted in the early church, and the teachings on sexuality, um, radical at the time. Uh, Radical because Paul calls and the scriptures call for intimacy to be exclusively within marriage. Um, And that you'll see in the next chapter uh, that that the power differential is removed too. The, the, The husband and wife belong to each other. Radical for the ancient world. You mean my gender or my social status don't give me the right to satisfy myself? No, scriptures say no. No, you belong to one another. So Paul says flee, flee from things that that capitulate to the culture in this way, to the way of thinking of the world. Um, But but, uh, you you may have heard this this passage before, and uh, and it's easy to mischaracterize uh, God's design for us as simply a cold list of rules. Uh, you, You hear Paul saying flee and that may be the only thing that you heard as you heard the scripture read. Right, here it is again, right? The, the Bible uh, looks at our hand and just goes, you know, that's, that's the message of scripture for us. Um, I was telling the kids this morning, um, I think they might be too young to remember the Just Say No campaign. Um, some of them knew it, right? But you can read this passage as simply another uh, version of the Just Say No campaign. Just say no to drugs. That's, you know, that's all you got to do. Just say no. But Paul is not primarily concerned with law or behavior modification. Uh, in fact, Paul—you might also notice—that Paul is not primarily concerned in the first place with addressing the violence and injustice that the world's way of thinking about this was bringing uh, in, the, in the church in Corinth. Uh, the harm that, would, that this way of thinking, the, 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 my body's just an appetite to be satisfied, the harm that that would bring to society, that's not actually Paul's first concern. Um, nor is his first concern the importance of marriage and the need to make sure that everybody be married. Uh, marriage, of course, and, and justice um, for, for, the, for the weak and vulnerable is, of course, important uh, to God but that's not primarily what what Paul is is after. This passage actually centers on an entirely different question. Um, The church in Corinth was living in an assumption that sexuality is an appetite of the body, and Paul's response to that, if you look at verse 13, uh, the body is not meant to do with what you will. The body is for the Lord, and the Lord for the body. In another way of saying it, Paul is saying, uh, the central question is, who do you belong to? Who do you belong to? Uh, you'll, you'll see this throughout this passage. Um, Paul has three do you not knows in the passage. Um, do you not know is a great way to start an emphatic statement. I challenge you to try and start a sentence with do you not know and anything less than an emphatic phrase, right? Um do you not know that I don't eat Target brand cereal? You know? It takes the most benign thing and makes it a, a, an important statement. Um, I don't eat Target brand cereal. and Neither should you. Um, do you not know? So Paul, three times, right? Three times. Verse 15. Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ himself? Do you not know that he unites himself with a prostitute one with her in the body? But whoever is united with the Lord is one with him in spirit. Do you not know, in verse 19, that your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have received from God? And so the logic of Scripture is for how you care for your sexuality and and that of others uh, depends upon who you belong to. That's that's the drumbeat of this passage. Uh, And it shouldn't surprise you. Behind every door in Scripture, God is after the heart. He's after who... You are giving yourself to. So the question of how you live day by day and in sexual wholeness is is a matter of who your whole self belongs to. And and I I would just confess to you that if this sounds strange to you, um, and it did to the to I think to some of our teenagers this morning, uh, there is strangeness in Scripture where it hits us with something that we don't typically in a way that we don't typically think, and we should just acknowledge that you're not. Out of, out of order, if this morning you're like, Yeah, I don't actually think a lot about who I belong to. Um, it's okay for scripture to sort of hit you sideways um, in a way that feels unfamiliar. Um, and, and I think, in part, we don't think about who we belong to because I think in our present time and space, that question is pretty much settled. It's not an open question for discussion. Uh, we belong to ourselves. Uh, you, you have been raised in and baked in to the very uh, soil you walk on in this life is, is the notion that you belong to yourself. Uh, it is more part of the way you think than you can probably imagine. I'll just confess that's been my experience this week as I thought about this. You belong to yourself. And so what you do with your body and your longings is in the first place a matter of the choices that I make for myself. And if we belong to ourselves, if we believe that we are our own and that the life we have, the life you have, the body that you have, um, belongs solely to you, then all of life, all that you do is actually a matter of roads that lead to yourself. Other people, other people are a matter of your own consumption, to put it in the crudest kind of way. Uh, this is actually Jesus affirms this right he, when he when he warns against adultery in the Sermon on the Mount, he says to not even look at somebody and the word he uses uh, to describe that is is to not look at somebody as though you want to possess them as you want to have them for your own that's the word he's using in Matthew 5 and and if you're if you doubt me on this I just I would suggest to you if you look at um, if you look at the way, so the, the, some of the biggest industries in, in the world thrive on the belief that we belong to ourselves and therefore other people are for our consumption. And, and for, the sake of, for, the sake, for the very sake of, of who we have in the room, um, I'll, I'll leave it to you as adults to consider that. The biggest businesses, billions of dollars a year are fed in, in our own communities in our country and around the world on the premise that people are for our consumption. We live in a world where we believe we belong to ourselves and so we consume each other in, in, out of that belief. Uh, that, that might feel a little bit out there. Uh, how does this maybe come home to you a little bit more? Um, it be, how does this come into, into our own lives? Uh, last week, uh, Mary, uh, Mar- Angela talked about how marriage is a signpost to God's covenant love and, and a very beautiful picture of God's covenant love. Uh, and, and what can happen is that you can get lost in the sauce a little bit on that. That, that is a beautiful truth of scripture of God's design for, for us and how we think about it. But, but remember, Paul's after who you belong to. He's after the heart. And so, so what that means is that um, actually marriage is not a way to flee sexual immorality. Even though it is a beautiful design of God's covenant love for us, your heart is actually not changed by getting married. You see, we can, make, we can sort of confuse, the, we can make that mistake. Marriage does not protect us from sexuality for the self, no more than um, being here will protect you from legalism. Right? I mean, God gives us the church. God gives us the marriage. Those things do not transform the heart in and of themselves. If we still belong to ourselves, marriage and the intimacy of marriage can be romanticized in a way that still is about serving ourselves. Uh, Stanley Horowitz uh, writes about this and you have that quote in your outline. He says, destructive to marriage is the self-fulfillment ethic that assumes marriage and the family are primarily institutions of personal fulfillment, necessary for us to become whole and happy. The assumption is that there is someone just right for us to marry and that if we look closely enough, we will find the right person. (laughs) The moral assumption overlooks a crucial aspect of marriage. It fails to appreciate the fact that we always marry the wrong person. <laughs> we never know whom we marry. We just think we do. Or even if we first marry the right person, just give it a little while, and he or she will change. For marriage, being the enormous thing that it is, means we are not the same person after we have enter- entered into it. The problem primarily is in, in other, the problem primarily is a matter of the heart. Are you going to learn how to love and care for the stranger to whom you find yourself married? And so, one of the gravest blind spots we have is that um, self serving sexuality is just as prominent within our marriages as it is everywhere else in the world. We're still prone to serve ourselves, to consume others for ourselves. And so, the aim please hear me the aim is not to devalue marriage. Uh, we just did a whole, s- Angelo, go back, listen to last week. We're, we're not beating up on marriage here. But we're following the logic of the passage. Who do you belong to? Who do you give your heart, mind, soul, and strength to? And, and until you come face-to-face with that question, uh, you, you won't actually be able to walk in, in in wholeness. You need to come face-to-face with that question. Um, as long as you belong to yourself, you actually won't be able to get out of this self-serving cycle. Um, There's a philosopher, Zygmunt Bauman, he describes the modern identity as like you can imagine yourself as four ounces of water. And this kind of worked as I talked to the youth group about it. So maybe talk to one of them. They had more time to to think about this. Imagine yourself as four ounces of water. Uh, When you belong to yourself, you're four ounces of water. And as you go through life, you're trying to you're stuck in just simply moving that four ounces from one container to another. But you can't actually change. You just you remain who you are. Maybe as a teenager, you're a, you're a teacup, and as an adult, you become a mixing bowl. But the bottom line is you're still just four ounces of water no matter what you do on the outside to, ch- to, to try and form who you are. The shape of the water may change, the place it's in, but you still remain belonging to yourself, stuck. In yourself, you're just shifting around the shape of it. You're just continually serving yourself. And so the the repentance, when we talk about repentance, repentance is coming to the point when by God's grace you can turn and rethink who you belong to. Who do you belong to? When you begin to see the futility and the bondage of just belonging to yourself, and when you acknowledge that there is something in you that loves darkness rather than light. So that's that's what Paul's after. He wants to point the finger at that belonging question. And the good news, brothers and sisters, the good news of this passage, the good news of the gospel is, is that God comes to find you. God comes to get you. I just want to read for you verse 19 and 20 again. Do you not know, do you not know that your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have received from God? You are not your own. You are bought at a price. Therefore, honor God with your body. So so here's what you need to know this morning. Uh, You're bound to yourself. By yourself, you're bound to yourself. Uh, Your condition is such that you actually can't contribute to your own freeing yourself. You are both captive and jailer. And and what you need to know is that God is a redeemer. Our God is a redeemer. God is a redeemer. He brings redemption. Our God is a redeemer. What that means... This is a word that we hear and sing a lot. What does it mean that God is a redeemer? Uh, That means that he saves, that he brings people out of slavery into freedom. God frees us by paying whatever debt we owe in full on the cross with his blood. Whatever prison we built for ourselves, God releases us. So when you turn to Christ whether it's now this morning, whether it's 20 years ago, whether it's tomorrow, when you turn to Christ, you know a God who redeems, who frees us from ourselves, who frees us from captivity. You're freed from the rule of self and you're freed from a way of life that consumes others for your own needs. Uh, Jackie Perry writes this. She said, my hands, head, face, legs, hips, hormones, private parts, voice, feet, fingers, feelings were all made by him and for him. Apparently this body was never mine to begin with. It was given to me from somebody, for somebody, somebody who made it for glory and not shame. And until I got to know him though, my identity would be made up of whatever dust that flew up from the devil's feet as he ran through the earth. So that's what you need to know. Our God God is a redeemer. He frees us. And and then secondly, what you need to believe is that God's purchase on your life is actually colored through with something even deeper, even more beautiful than his redemption. Or it it deepens and, and makes the redemption all the more beautiful. And that is that we're redeemed not just to be floating free from ourselves, but we're redeemed for union with him. We are his. Uh, verse 14, your bodies are members of Christ Himself. Verse 17: whoever is united with the Lord is one with him in spirit. Verse 19: Do you not know that your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit who is in you? You're freed for union with him. Uh, if you if, if, you, if we go for a car ride together today, um, there, we have a certain union in being in the same car. Uh, if we get a flat tire, we'll have a certain partnership and union in going through that experience together, uh, depending on how adept we are at changing flat tires. Um, we'll have sort of a common trouble and a common work together to fix it. If we go through uh, the Wendy's drive-through together, we'll enjoy a biggie bag. We'll have union together. There'll be a sort of a shared, a shared, um, a shared experience. But, but actually, contrary to uh, the popular bumper sticker, God is not our co-pilot. Do they still make those? I think I, am I did. I just make up that bumper sticker. Okay, good. Thank you, Pat. All right. Uh, it's a nice idea, but God is not. It's because it's not. It's it's not deep enough. God is not just in the passenger seat with us. Nor is he just at the steering wheel, which I know is another good way of, of talking about it. It's not not close enough. You're not just sharing experiences with God. You're one with him in spirit, the scripture says. You're united with Christ. Uh, And so think about it this way. In Roman slavery, the the, the only way for slavery to work, the, the logic of slavery is that another person is a thing, has to become a thing, has to be dehumanized. That's the logic of slavery. So uh, you you become less a person when you belong to to another or when you belong to yourself. You're actually dehumanized. And what God's purchase on our life and what our union with Him means is that it's actually precisely the opposite. Our belonging to Christ actually restores our humanity. He's the only person, he's the only one you can belong to that makes you more into who you've been created to be. Uh, Alan Noble writes, uh, 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 as a creation of God, you have no obligation to create yourself. Your identity is based on God's perfect will, not your own subjective uncertain will. All your efforts to craft a perfect marketable image add nothing to your personhood. The reason the opinions of others don't define you isn't because your opinion is the only one that counts, but because you're not reducible to any human efforts of definition. Sorry. <laughs> I think I've confessed. That's, that, that's, that one hits me. That, that's, that's a hard one for me. The only being who can fully know you and understand you without reducing you to a, st- to a stereotype or an idol is God. So know that you're redeemed, brothers and sisters. Believe that you are united to Christ. And that in that, he makes you more of who you are. And now lastly, as, as just how then, okay, how does this matter day by day? How does this matter day by day? Um, you, you can walk in, in sexual wholeness day by day as you rest in finding your redeemer at the deepest point of your despair and your temptation and your sin. Uh, where you find that you're most helpless, where you're most bound up in patterns that you can't break. It's that very place that you find your Redeemer. It's that very place where God, God's union with you is made known. And so you, you actually can grow in holiness this afternoon. Can I invite you to that? You can grow in holiness and wholeness this Thursday at 4 o'clock when you're done with the work week uh, by by just spending time beholding the one who set you free. And, And there's some ways in which that might feel like a pat answer, but that's actually precisely the point. You're the only person by God's grace that can tell yourself a pat answer and accept it. What you need to tell yourself is you actually just need to behold your Redeemer as you look upon the one. That's, and that's part of what being a temple is. You're the place where you can look upon the one who is your redeemer. You just need to spend time looking at him and praying and meditating on, he is my redeemer. He is with me. God, God has a permanent residence with you. And as you do that, you grow Uh, 1 Corinthians 3, Paul says, Now the the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And we all who with unveiled faces contemplate the Lord's glory are being transformed into his image with ever-increasing glory, which comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. And then the fruit of that, as you you dwell upon your Redeemer, is that, that it bears fruit in the way you live. Um, Paul ends with the exhortation, verse twenty: Honor God with your body. So, so just two way, uh, two ways that you can honor God with your body, as you as you dwell upon your Redeemer. Um, this this actually that that changes the pattern of your thinking when you think upon Christ. Uh, day by day, it's uh, it's painful to change the pattern of your thinking. It, there's always pain that's involved in in in. Um, Carving out new paths in our hearts and our minds. Uh, but, but that's what's happening. You're changing as you contemplate Christ. What you're changing from is other people are for me to consume to other people are for me to give myself to. At, you, you begin to change the way you think about others. And that's painful. It's painful to give up the idols that we cherish. It's painful to change the way we see others. Um, But God's God's spirit, it's it's a surgical knife that brings change to our hearts. And God gives us grace to persevere, to put to death those ways of thinking that lead to immorality. Um, And so just notice that this kind of work reorders our way of thinking about others. It's deeper than just playing whack-a-mole with your heart. Um, just trying to, like, keep them all away. Uh, You you flee from thoughts that lead to sexual immorality to to Christ because of who you are. That's that's the basis. I I change my behavior not because I've managed to control it, white-knuckling it, but because of who I am. I belong to Christ. That's the basis. You flee in your mind, and sometimes you flee with your feet. You, you do have to literally run from places that you are and things you're looking at. But you flee because of who you are. So in our heads, this is the change that takes place. And then lastly, um, it, it changes the way that you, that you live and experience others with your body. Uh, it changes the way you interact as a community. You actually need to put this into practice as a community. Uh, I, I just want to exhort you to this. Uh, you belong not to yourself but to Christ. And so, in order to honor God with your sexuality, you need to actually practice this, in with other people. When I'll say it again, when you belong to yourself, all of life is an effort to sort of keep it that way, to use everybody for that ends. When you belong to Christ, all of effort, all of life is an effort to give yourself away for the sake of others. And I, that, that's that's largely what church is here for. You you embody, you practice what is it like to give yourself away for the sake of other people here? I I, I would just encourage you, as you leave, notice physically what it is to see other people as that is somebody I give myself for, not somebody for me to consume. And so just to, what does that look like? Just to pick up on Angelo's theme from last week, um, your, your family then, your family is not for the sake of it being a self-sufficient unit. Your family is for the sake of being given to others. So single people find a home within your family because your family is about no longer belonging to itself, but belonging to others. And, and singles, uh, you, you, now, you now belong to others. You now are given over to be aunts and uncles and grandparents to our families and to our children here. You, you are here to give yourself for the sake of others. So just imagine what is a community like when everybody is thinking, I give myself for the sake of the other person. That's a beautiful picture of Christ's love for us, isn't it? Uh, I'd invite the worship team to come forward. Um, all of this, uh, uh, of course, is, we, we know... We know the already, not yet. We know this in part, but we don't know it in full. And so so we, we live day by day also with a future hope. We live as people with hope, even though we experience longings that will not be satisfied and fulfilled in this life. Even though we suffer pains and sorrows too deep for words, our bodies and our sexuality point to a hope that is certain. And and so we live as those who know that ultimate things are actually beyond the present. We live in hope, brothers and sisters, for the future where all things will be made new. Uh, Just receive the, uh, this is the first question of the Heidelberg Catechism as a a way of closing. Uh, The first question asks, what is your only comfort in life and in death? Answer, Christ, by his Holy Spirit, assures me of eternal life. and makes me wholeheartedly willing and ready for now to live for him. Amen. And this, this is the spirit with which we, we come to the table this morning. We come to the one who has given his life for us to redeem us. And now we, we belong to him. We turn to him when we belong to him. And brothers and sisters as we draw near to the Lord's table to celebrate the communion of the body and the blood of Christ we are grateful to remember that our Lord instituted this meal for the sake for the perpetual memory of his dying for our sakes and the pledge of his undying love as a bond of our union with him and each other as a, as members of his mystical body as a seal of his promises to us and a renewal of our obedience to him for the blessed assurance of his presence with us who are gathered here in his name and as an opportunity for us who love the savior to feed spiritually on him who is the bread of life and as a pledge of his coming again Just want to invite you now to a, a, a time to pray and bring your heart before the Lord. Um, the Lord call, is, is calling us now to draw your heart close. Where do you need to confess? Where do you need to name that you've been living as though you belong to yourself? And where do you need to know and hear and receive? Christ has redeemed you and united him with himself. So just spend the time, bring your heart before the Lord before we go to the table.